0: And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds together this morning be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. And so this is the penultimate week in our Walking Together series, exploring the Psalms of Ascent together. Psalms that were sung by God's people as they journeyed towards Jerusalem. These are songs, psalms that open up for us lots of different things. They reflect on the character and nature of God. They speak to us about what it is like to live a life of faith. And they capture the essence of what it means to be a worshipping community, walking that journey together. And so they've got something to say to us, whether we're embarking on that journey of faith, whether we're on the fringes and considering whether it's for us or whether we've been walking that path for decades. Now, Psalm 130 that Linda's read for us this morning is the 11th in this collection of 15 psalms that make up the Psalms of Ascent. And it's one that has a remarkably rich history in the life of the church around the world. Sometimes simply referred to as out of the depth, taken from the first line, It's been taken and owned particularly by people who find themselves on the edge in some way, or in the depths of existence, longing for change and clinging to hope. Now, we're not told anything specific about what the kind of depths the psalmist is referring to are about. And I suspect that's deliberate. That the wording is a little bit more general so that lots of people can use these words. Remember, these were songs that were sung by a community together. And perhaps, as you heard them this morning, you might have begun filling in the blanks with struggles from your own life. What is your depth? Perhaps it's illness or debts or relationship breakdown or it's all just too much and you don't know how to stop. I don't know what it would be for you. But there are quite simply times when our lives are hard, when we feel frustrated or let down or forgotten or alone. One of the few things that we're able to guarantee about life is that there are times when it will be hard and a struggle. But even then there are times that go beyond those where the burden is so heavy and the horizon is so dark. And that's where this psalm has come into play for so many people for thousands of years. Because there are all sorts of ways of trying to describe those moments, to understand them, but to talk of the depths is one of the ways in all literature that we have used to describe them. We're at the bottom, miles from any light and a long way from any safety. It's an image that's used in lots of places in the Bible too. So Psalm 69 says, "'Save me, O God,' For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come to deep waters and the floods engulf me. I realise that uh, this might not be the uh, sermon you're expecting for a baptismal Sunday. I promise the psalm picks up in a minute. Bear with me. And it says in verse 3 and 4 of the psalm, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. And so we also have here in the psalm, woven into the picture of the depths, the things that we have a hand in creating ourselves. Because sometimes we're in depths that we can do nothing about, and are forced upon us by circumstances. And then there are depths where we've had a hand in making them as they are, And that adds another layer of complexity and difficulty. The mistakes we make, the things we do and say that we shouldn't. The things we should have done and said, but we didn't. When we make the wrong call, when we choose to do what we know is wrong for whatever reason, when we screw up, when we sin, when we choose something that we know is not God's best for us, we are at least in part in those moments in depths of our own making. But however we recognise the reality of our own depths, their existence this morning is not really the point of the psalm. That's merely the context of what the psalm is trying to tell us. So come with me on the upward curve of the morning now. Because as always, as we approach this psalm, we ask ourselves the two fundamental theological questions, which are what kind of God and so what? Thank you very much. Every other question in theology is a derivative of those two questions. What does it tell us about the nature of God and then what do we do with that information? What does Psalm 130 tell us about God's character and what difference does that make to you and me? And what difference does that especially make to our four friends taking the steps of being baptised? Well, our psalm today tells us, amongst other things, that God doesn't keep a running record of our sins and our mistakes and praise the Lord for that. Because how could any of us possibly come before God if that were the case? That isn't how God works. God isn't interested in catching you out or holding your past against you. When we get stuck in and on those things, that is a cage of our own making far more than it is of God's. Instead, in the words of Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west so far he has taken our transgressions from us what this psalm tells us is that god is in the business of clean slates and fresh starts and chances to try again because with god there is forgiveness and there is always a way back it doesn't say might be it says there is and forgiveness And the opportunity to make a fresh start. These things are revolutionary. And they're a change that the world needs today as much as it did when this psalm was first written down. And it's exactly what Jesus offers to each of us. The guilt that any of us may carry around, that you may carry around, about things that you've said and done in your past is not from God a voice that tells you that you're beyond the pale, that you're inadequate, that you're not up to it, that is not from God either. For here's the third thing we learn about God from this psalm. For with God is unfailing love. Unfailing love and full redemption. Now, any of our folks being baptised can ask anyone who's been five minutes further along their journey of faith... Being a Christian is not without its challenges. We're called to live a certain way, to make certain decisions, to live with certain characteristics and values that our lives might be beacons of God's love and truth in the world for other people. But God's love for all of us, for all people, is not dependent on those things and whether we get it right or not. God's love for you is without condition. It's all in God, it's all from God, it's all about God. We don't earn forgiveness or love. It's a gracious gift of a God who loves people and longs for us to live life in its fullness. There is absolutely nothing that anyone in this room can do this morning to make God love you anymore. It can't be done. That's important to remember. God's love Is unfailing. Trying to explain some of this to the very first Christians 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul describes it like this. He says, love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so the picture we have of God from the psalm is a God who keeps no record of wrongs, a God who does forgiveness, and a God who loves us unfailingly. If we were in one of the churches that Lynn was talking to, we might have had an amen at the end of that sentence. I wonder how that resonates with you today. I wonder how those things resonate when we find ourselves in the depths. I suspect that in those darkest moments, to know, to know that we are forgiven and that we are loved might be amongst the most life-giving things we could know in those moments. And so I guess that's one of the differences that it makes as we think about our so what question. Knowing that God is like that might give us some reassurance. It might give us some hope even, because hope is something that this psalm seems to long for. Let me take you to my favourite line in the whole psalm. Verse 6, the people sing, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. It's a deliberate repetition, it's not a printing error in the Bible, you haven't discovered something this morning that Christians haven't noticed so far. It's image of the watchmen on the city walls, And for them, when the sun comes up, the morning begins, it means a number of things. The first is, it's a shift change. I can go and get some rest. But more importantly, it means safety. They have made it through the night. And the good news for them, even in the midst of the night, is that morning was on the way. Because the sun rising, morning coming, is certain. Day will follow the night. We don't know exactly when. It's time is determined by the one who sustains the universe. But morning is on the way. And if we take that picture, it's something that we would do well to remind each other about. To grasp onto as tight as we can. That the morning is on the way. That however deep your depths seem in this moment, know that change is coming. And better times are coming, and it won't always be like this. Inspired by words like these from the Bible, the poet David Gate wrote this short poem last year, which I think we might have on the screen for us. The night, no matter how hard it tries, no matter what lies it tells you, cannot hold back the dawn. And we're going to leave that on the screen And if beyond the hope that this might all give us, the challenge the psalm poses to each of us is to be a church community where people can see and hear and experience these things for themselves. If forgiveness is to be found in God, it should also be found in God's people. If God's love is unfailing, we should be striving to love people in that same way. And in our reading from Hebrews, it talks about spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, to encouraging one another, to helping ourselves, to helping each other. Because I'll let you into a little bit of a secret. Sometimes, I'm just not in the mood to be that loving and forgiving and kind. Am I the only one? You're going to leave me hanging out there this morning? Not even a nod of the head from any of you incredibly pious people that are here this morning. And in those moments, the thing that helps me is all the other Christians around me who are doing it better than me that day, or those people who can let me say what I need to say to take a deep breath, and then we try again. And it's such a gift to have people you can do that with. It's why we journey together. It's why we do this in the community. And this is the sort of life, this um, loving, forgiving way of walking through our days, that Robert, Maria, Rio, and Isis are committing to today. And we're all tasked with being the people who spur them on to do it. I don't know if you realise, but being in a baptismal service is not about being a passive spectator. It involves us all praying and supporting each other as we seek to live out our faith. And as these friends go through the waters of baptism today, part of what they'll be doing is participating in the one moment in history that makes hope and forgiveness and redemption possible. Namely, the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And one of the things we do when we sit down to talk about baptism is we talk about how, at the beginning of the process, we're standing up. And then halfway through, we're laying down. And then as the process ends, we're standing up again. And you know who went through something very similar to exactly that? Jesus Christ that first Easter weekend he stands on the cross he's laid in the tomb and he's raised to life again and at that moment we know that death is defeated and sin has no hold over us and we may live free and redeemed jesus thank you jesus was the answer to how god was going to make this happen to how that full redemption that psalm talks about was to be won how forgiveness could be made possible and love demonstrated And if we're out looking for spectacular dawns of hope, like the watchman on the walls, well, the morning of that first Easter day where the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive, that's quite simply the best thing to ever happen on the earth. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning, says Psalm 30. Friends, whatever else, know this morning that there is always that's my prayer for us all this morning, and it's especially my prayer for Robert, and Maria, and Rio, and Isis, that they will never be without hope. That today, as they claim this fresh start and rejoice in their forgiveness and the love that God has for them, and today I pray that we might all know that however dark the night may seem in this moment, that the morning is coming, for Jesus makes it so.